Okay, if you turn with me then to Luke chapter 13, the Gospel of Luke chapter 13. Uh, I've seen quite often that there are people who, after being in a form of false Christianity for some time, or perhaps some of these have no concept of Christianity at all, they've never or really set foot in a church meeting, but at a point in their life, through whatever means, they come across some Christians who seem to have the truth, that they can see a reality about them. And so, and maybe this describes some here today, and so they feel drawn to this and want what they have. And so these people suddenly start to develop a strong interest in Christianity. This may happen to children who grow up in the faith also. You know, you grow up at a point in time, it's not really that interesting, you're just go, going along, but then all of a sudden you start to see the reality in others and you're, you're drawn to it and you de- develop a strong interest in Christianity. And before you know it, you're following along with them. You're doing all these Christian activities. You start going to, to church meetings with more of a zeal. Perhaps you start listening to, to teachings on the internet. You start claiming to believe things and, and doing things that you never thought you would have years ago. But this is the problem with some of these types of people. And as I said, maybe it includes some here. normally includes these type of people everywhere I go. In all the newfound interest and participation in Christian things... What sometimes happens to these types of people is they forget to get saved themselves. They start following along, trying to fit in, but they stop short of coming to Christ and dealing with him on a one-on-one basis and getting saved themselves. I've entitled, Terry always asks me my title after, well, this one is Don't Forget to be saved or don't forget to get saved you see there are many people who enjoy talking about Christian matters and they love to do Christian things but make sure in all that you don't forget the one thing necessary that you yourself must have a personal dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ don't forget to get saved You see, if you miss this part, if you get this part wrong, then everything you do in your Christian life will be worthless to you at the end. And so, if we all stand, we'll read God's word. From Luke 13, verses 22 to 30. And he, that is Jesus went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? 
And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter in and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first and there are first who will be last. Okay, we're told here that as the Lord Jesus was preaching and he was teaching whilst on his way to the cross that was awaiting him in Jerusalem, it says in verse 23 that a man in in the crowd asked him a question. He said, Lord, are there few who are saved? So, This man, he comes to Jesus with a a general speculative question about salvation. How many people are, are going to be in heaven, he's asking here. How many people are going to get saved? Will there only be a few saved, as in comparison to the many who won't be? What I want you to notice here is Jesus does not even answer This man's question. But rather what he does. He turns to the crowd. And in verse 23. He continues. And he said to them. Strive. To enter through the narrow gate. For many I say to you. Will seek to enter. And will not be able. Now. Let's ask this here. Why did Jesus. Not answer. This man's question. I mean, this is a question about salvation, is it not? This man comes to Jesus with a question about salvation. How many will be saved? And yet Jesus refuses point blank to answer him. It's as if he just talks over him. Let me ask you this. Why is it important to consider? I mean, I like to ask questions about the Bible, the text I'm reading when I'm read, when I read. Why is it important to consider why he did not answer? Well, perhaps maybe there's some here who are also wondering, why does the Lord not answer me when I ask him about salvation? You see, perhaps there are some who have been professing to be a Christian for a long time. But you're always wondering, why don't I I seem to have the peace and relationship with God that I see others have? So-and-so has peace and they know their sins forgiven. So why don't I have that same peace? I inquire about salvation too. I have an interest in the Bible and Christianity too. So why does he not answer me? Like he has done them quite clearly. 
Let me tell you the reason here why he doesn't answer this man's question. You see, this man here, he comes to Jesus just to speculate and have a, a discussion about theology. How many people are going to be in heaven? I mean, perhaps he'd been wondering about this for some time. And he thought Jesus might have the answer to his question. But Jesus, he turns around and he says, never mind how many people are going to be saved. The question you need to be worrying about, sir, is are you saved? Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Uh, Enough of your trivial questions. Are you saved yourself? You see, it's no use speculating and having a a discussion about how many people are going to be saved if you don't strive and enter through the, the narrow gate yourself. You see, the reason Jesus did not answer this man's question about salvation and the reason he may not be answering others at times is because this man comes with a completely wrong attitude. You see, he's asking about salvation. He's seeking salvation in just a trivial manner, a speculative manner. He's talking here about the number of people who will be in heaven or in hell as if it's just some kind of detached uh, theoretical manner as if it doesn't apply to him. Like he's, you know some academic subject. But how many professing Christians, I ask, are like this? How many have uh, an interest in Christian theology and Christian matters? They may love to talk about uh, things like predestination or another might love to talk about creationism or the age of the earth or how all the dinosaurs got on the ark. Or they love to talk all day long and all night long about Christian homeschooling. Or another might have a great interest in eschatology and the the end times and what someone's toe means in Daniel. Or someone else may love to talk all the time about which Bible translation is the best. Listen, just because someone has an interest in the Bible and Christian things, that does not even mean they are saved. You see, just like the woman at the well in John 4, Charles mentioned earlier. These people, they love to talk about speculative things. You know, is it on this mountain or is it on this other mountain that we worship God? Should the... You know, these are the really important questions, aren't they, they think? You know, should the the church be worshipping in a house or should they be worshipping in a building? Do we do Christmas or do we do Passover instead? You know, shall we play uh, uh, rock music or shall we play no music at all? Or someone else thinks, yeah, the important thing is we don't watch Harry Potter. What did Jesus say to the woman at the well there? What did he do? He drew her attention to her sin. You see, uh, there are so many people who love to talk all day long about Christianity in some kind of detached theoretical manner. And Jesus will say to them, I do not know you. Where are you from? 
And they will say to him, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. What do you mean? You do not know us. We talked all our lives about Christian things. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you are from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, people, there are people who love to talk about theology and do Christian things in a kind of detached manner like this. Because it's easier to talk about God and theology than themselves. It's easier to talk about these things in a detached manner than when they come face to face with us. And, you know, the devil loves this. This is one of his tactics. You know, I mean, one of the devil's tactics, of course, is he keeps people with no interest in Christian things at all, keeps them far away. But when they do... The devil loves his people to be preoccupied by secondary Christian issues. The wicked one, he he loves his people to have an interest in Christian things so long as it's it's distracting them from the main thing. That is their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, again, you know, the devil is perfectly happy to have uh, his people, I should say, have a profession of Christianity and be preoccupied by secondary Christian issues that they can talk about all day long, get worked up about. Or, or, you know, activities like campaigning for social justice, taking care of the needy, feeding the homeless, good things in and of themselves. Or talking about the, the age of the earth. Or who are the Nephilim? Because, I mean, that's a really important question on Judgment Day, isn't it? You see, the devil is happy for you to be preoccupied with some secondary issue if it keeps you away from the main thing. But, you know, know this. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. If someone is preoccupied with some secondary issue that is taking precedent over your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then if you don't repent before Judgment Day, then your favorite Christian thing will be the very thing the devil uses to damn you. Isn't that shocking? You see, this man, he comes to Jesus and he asks a general question again. How many people will be saved? How many people are going to enter through this narrow gate? Jesus says to him, never mind. The question you need to ask yourself, sir, is are you saved? Have you entered through this narrow gate yourself? It's, it's no use talking about other things if you fail to enter through the narrow gate yourself. Mm-hmm. If you fail, as I said at the beginning, if you fail to enter through this narrow gate, if you fail to start properly, then everything you do in your Christian life will not matter to you in eternity. He who comes another way, our Lord Jesus said, is the same as a thief and a robber. You know, imagine a running race, you know, where they have the, the athletics track where they go around. And all the, those athletes, those runners, they line up on the start line there. But imagine partway through, partway around the, the circuit there, there's a man sat in the crowd. 
And he thinks, I'd like to be like them. I want what they've got. And he decides to join the race and runs on the track and starts running with them. Well, listen, it doesn't matter if he goes faster than anyone else. I mean, he could do an extra lap. You see, if he does not start in the correct way, then all his running is worthless. Well, have you started in the correct way? You see, what I want to ask is, do you know anything of this striving here that Jesus talks about? So, we must ask them, what does it mean to strive? What is this striving? Why does Jesus tell this man in the crowd, or he tells the crowd here and this man to strive to enter in? Uh, The word strive here means to agonize. Have you ever agonized over your soul? Have you ever been under conviction of sin? Have you ever been brought to feel your desperate state as a guilty rebel against God? Have you ever been brought to realize that you're in deep trouble? That you're not right with God and and you would perish as it stands? You see... Jesus tells this man to strive here, to agonize, to enter in, because obviously, by his very question, he realizes this is something that's missing in this man. You see, by the very fact here, I mean, he, he, he comes to inquire about salvation in such a general, detached manner, that reveals this man has just not seen his own sin. Because, you see, when you come under conviction of sin and you come to Jesus like this man here. When you come to realize your desperate state before God, you don't come to Christ asking general questions about Bible trivia. You don't come to him and say, let's have a discussion about theology and all these Christian things that are not quite relevant to my life. But you come to him, what you come to him wanting to know is, Lord, can you save me? That is what I want to know, Lord. When someone comes under conviction of sin, when someone knows something of this agonizing here, you say, look, I'm not bothered right now about how many people will be in heaven. I'm not bothered right now about whether the earth is 6,000 years old or 60 billion years old or whatever. You say, look, as it stands now, Lord, I am going to be damned for all eternity. And so all that trivia is not a priority to me right now. What I want to know, Lord, is can you save me? Are you the Christ or shall I look for another? Do you know something of this agonizing? You see, the person who knows something of this agonizing... Again, who knows something of a conviction of sin, they don't come debating about salvation and Christianity as if it does not apply to them. Uh, Remember Nicodemus in John 3. He he first came to Jesus, didn't he, with all his intellect. And he he came to Jesus and said, you know, I've been doing some thinking on this, Jesus. I've looked at the evidence 
We know you're from God, Nicodemus said to him. Because look at all these miracles you're doing. These can't be explained away. I'm clever I am. High fives to myself. Jesus just rejected him there, didn't he? And said to him, by all your speculation, you realize, or Jesus realized that he still needed to be saved for himself. And told him, you must be born again. But how many come to Jesus with that type of attitude and that alone? You know, I've looked at all the evidence. I've proved the Bible. I've examined God as judge over him in my intellect. But they have no sense of striving. They come to Christ almost as if they're on par with him. Yeah, I'm a teacher, you're a teacher, let's have a discussion about theology. I'm clever, you're pretty clever. Let me ask, or let us ask, I should say, another important question here, though. What is the difference between striving to enter in and merely seeking to enter in? What's the difference? See, our Lord said here, you must strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter in, but will not be able. If you're not able to seek and you must strive, or if you're not able to enter in by seeking, then what is the difference there between striving to enter in and seeking to enter in? Well, I believe... Striving seeks of more of a willingness and a, a desperation. Whereas seeking is wishful thinking. You see, there are many people who would say, yeah, I hope to go to heaven. I, I wish to go to heaven. I'll do a little bit. Maybe go to church on the Sunday if I can make it. You know, there are many who'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd like to believe I'm God, one of God's elect. But there's no urgency about them. There's n- no urgency. Yeah. It's not the most important thing, whether they're right with God or not, is not the most important thing in their life. You see, there are many professing Christians who, they have some secondary issue. That's the main important thing to them. But coming to Christ and properly dealing with him... Well, coming to Christ is a secondary issue for them. And their relationship with Christ is a secondary issue. Always becoming. And so they're just happy to go along through the motions, whether it be intellectuals or, you know, doing other things, putting other, even Christian things first. But you see, to the one who is striving to enter in, the relationship with God and Jesus Christ is the most important thing above all else to them. There's some urgency there, some desperation. You see, what matters to them above everything else in life is, am I right with God? Am I at peace with the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, again, I said this earlier, the devil loves to distract people by secondary things. If this main thing of dealing with Christ is overlooked and not important. 
but also to strive is to have some urgency about you. I mean, I think it's clear, don't you think, by the generalness of this man's question, there was no urgency about him, was there? He doesn't sound really desperate to come to Christ. So let me ask you this. Have you ever felt anything of this urgency? Have you ever come to the end of yourself like the Apostle Paul and cried out, what must I do? But something else here. What what is this narrow gate that they're going through here? We've got to go through this. We've got to strive, but to enter through the, the narrow gate. So what is this narrow gate? Well, obviously the narrow gate is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way of salvation upset by him. But I once heard Lloyd-Jones say the narrow gate here is a a turnstile. You know the turnstile when you go into the parks or the, you're all familiar with those? We walk through into a, a sports stadium or a fun park or whatever. You can go in one at a time around the turnstile. The thing about a turnstile is you can only enter through one at a time. You can't enter with your husband or with your children or with your parents or with your friends. You see, you must go through the turnstile alone. You must go through this narrow gate of Jesus Christ. You must deal with him alone. You see, uh, there are many who in the category I mentioned at the start, who try to follow along with someone else's Christmas activity. And they'll start getting busy doing Christian-type things. And they will start taking on Christian values and and beliefs. Uh, There are many who, you know, they they get into listening to some Christian teacher on the internet. But like those lost disciples of John the Baptist, they are willing to rejoice in someone else's light for a season. But you yourself here must go through this turnstile and deal with Jesus Christ alone. You can't ride into heaven on the wave of someone else's testimony. You can't go, we say piggyback, where you get on someone's back. You can't get into heaven on the back of someone else. You yourself must come face to face with Jesus Christ, this narrow gate alone. I mean, again, there there are so many people who love to talk about Christian ideals, but have never come to Christ, to him personally. Look what it says. Look what he says to them here. From verse 25, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where are you from? You see, they may have a lot of Christian activity, busy with secondary things, but they've missed the main thing. 
They've missed, they've stopped short of coming to Jesus Christ. And also, regarding going through this narrow gate here, you can only go through by yourself. You see, to go through this narrow gate, you must forsake trusting in anything else to save you. Uh, There are many people who, they, they fail to enter in because they are trying to bring some great big bag or something else they're trusting in to get in. Some people, they are, some people trust they are saved because they believe correct doctrine. I've come across the correct doctrine now, so I must be saved. Some people are trusting they are saved because they've grown up in a a good Christian home or have a good church. Some people are trusting in the good works or something else. Like the moral, uh, you know, like the Pharisee, I thank thee, I'm not like other men. But the entrance to heaven is not by those things. Uh, You see, again, that, that... Trying to get in by those things is like the man who didn't start the race properly, the guy up in the stand, who failed to start on the start line with everyone else. Those people will be disqualified. The gate to heaven is what we just sung about there, the cross of Jesus Christ. So to enter through this gate, you must forsake your confidence in anything else to recommend you to God. Uh, There are many people who, they fail to get in because they they refuse to let go of something else they're trusting in. Again, whether it be that, well, I believe correct doctrine or the good works or something else they do. But to enter through the narrow gate, you must forsake trusting anything else to recommend you to God. But go through this narrow gate of Jesus Christ, him being My only recommendation to God. But also here, the person who comes through this narrow gate, I think quite clearly, repents. Because notice what our Lord says to those who fail to enter in. He says, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. They've never repented. You see, you can't fit through this turnstile, this narrow gate, with your sins. You know, last year we're doing this flight again. Uh, on, I think it's Thursday morning. We flew, me and Padme, we flew from Kansas City to, to Dallas, to Denton. And when you go through, you know, the checks, I mean, they're pretty advanced there in Kansas. You go through this radar thing. And as you're walking through, I mean, the guy's looking at this and, I mean, even with your bags, you see it. It pulls everything out of your bags, and you you see, like, your shampoo in a bottle coming across the screen. I think you can even see the ingredients on it. I mean, it's sealed in a bag. This is pretty advanced stuff. Well, they do that, of course, so you can't take anything illegal with you. You're not going to get it through there. You can't sneak something through. You've got no chance. I remember the first time I came to America, I had one little barbecue sauce bottle over and I thought I'll just sneak it through my (laughs) carry-on 
I mean, you should have seen the guy's face lit up. He's like, oh, you've left this in your bag. (laughs) I know what he had for dinner that night. My point is, you know, let's say a man tries to go through that airport security with with a gun in his bag or or a hand grenade. Well, I mean, as soon as it comes up on the screen, they're going to pin that guy down to the floor. Well, in the same way, the person who tries to go through this narrow gate grasping and holding on to their sins with them, they're going to find out one day it's a lot worse. They're going to be pinned down, our Lord said, by angelic beings and be bound hand and foot and to cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, you can't go through this narrow gate by trying to sneak one sin through. Now, listen, let me make it clear here. You don't clean up your life, get rid of all your sins first and reach some sort of level of perfection before you go through this narrow gate. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus says here at all. But what I'm saying here is you can't go with an attitude of, I just want to keep hold of this one sin. I'm just going to sneak it through. I'm going to keep hold of this and embrace it. I mean, Jesus, when he, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked there, didn't he, about the saved person being poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt. You see, when someone is spiritually bankrupt, when they realize this, they have nothing to bargain with. But you see, the person who's trying to make a bargain with God, uh, who's trying to make a bargain with God saying, okay, I'll believe you, I'll trust you, if you let me keep hold of this favorite sin of mine. Well, the person who is trying to make a bargain with God, they're not spiritually bankrupt, are they? They don't realize because they... They still don't realize they have nothing to bargain with. That they have no righteousness of their own. But there are some who fail to enter in because they're looking for some feeling of either brokenness or joy to go through with, to come to Christ. We sung that, didn't we, just then? You know, great feelings won't pay for any of our sin. And another thing, though, regarding someone who feels this urgency, uh, this agonizing of striving to enter through the narrow gate, you're not going to worry about what other people think of you. Because how this is true, you know, there are many who... They know they should be coming to Christ, but what will so-and-so think of me? What about my friends? Maybe they'll cost me a promotion or... But the person who sees the desperate need to be saved and sees that Christ offers salvation, they want him so bad that they're not afraid of the ridicule of the world. Oh, we'd rather not have that. Don't get me wrong. But I'll, I'll go in with... I'm going in with Christ. You know, I was thinking, it's like, we, when we was in Sedalia, we went and got some things for Clint's bike from the, from the Walmart store. It's really weird when you go in there and there's like all these guns and all these Rambo knives that are illegal in Britain. 
And, but you see, you saw, you know, like, uh, do you have Peppa Pig and things like that? These little children, Thomas the Tank Engine <coughs> helmets, uh, you know, bike helmets and things like that. You ask a little kid, a little about this small, which one do you want? Do you want the one with Thomas the Tank Engine or, or whatever the current thing is? Or do you want this adult looking one? I want that one, the, the, the kid's one. He wouldn't have anything else. But then they get to a certain age, don't they? Well, get that. Little baby's one away from me. I want a more grown up one. But that's what happens, you know, when, when someone gets this urgency to come to Christ. They suddenly like that little kid again. Because you can't tell that, that the little child who wants the baby one, he, you can't tell him anything. You can say, oh, your friends will laugh. He's saying, I don't care. I, I want this. <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite children's cartoon. I want my SpongeBob or whatever. <laughs> but when you become a baby in Christ, that's you all over again. You don't care about the ridicule of the world. You may have done before. You would rather have Christ. It's not going to stop you is what I'm, I'm saying. Amen. Yeah, again, the ridicule of the world, it's not comfortable. You'd rather do without it. But it's not going to stop you. Yeah. You see, the person who merely seeks to enter in but will not be able is scared of the ridicule, so stands back. The scared, mate, well, I might miss a promotion. Or I might lose some of my friends. But the one who agonizes, they say, whatever it costs. I don't care if everyone in the world never speaks to me ever again. I just want to know I'm saved. All I want to know is that my sins are forgiven. They say, well, whatever it takes. You know, I, I don't want to be someone who, who just knows other people who know the Lord. But I want to know you. And just lastly, consider the warning that our Lord gives here about the urgency of this. Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, there is a day coming when it will be too late. Now, th this is serious, Jesus warns here. Enough of playing church, enough coming to me with your trivial questions. You're going to die soon, he tells them here. And then where will you be? And you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. You know, the, the men's study yesterday at Charles's house, the, the topic of hell had come up in what they were studying. And the Bible describes hell in many ways. But it's pictured here in these verses as one of a place of endless regret. 
regretting for all eternity that you did not enter through this narrow gate. Regretting that you put this one thing off and that you did not put your relationship with Christ and being right with him first. And so for all eternity, the crying, open up to us. But it's too late, the door is shut. You know, we said yesterday, in one sense, if the person got out, they'd only go back in. They'd want to go straight back in their sin, but I think it's right from here that the person regrets endlessly because they they're not in there thinking, yes, I finally got away from God. One of endless regret is pictured here. It's too late for them. The door is shut. But that door is open now. That door is open today. And just quickly, what does he mean here when he says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west and from the north and from the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first and there are first who will be last. What does he mean by that? Well, in the, in the original context there, those who he's speaking to in the first century, by the first there, he means the religious Jews. They have the scriptures. But many of those who are first will be shut out of the kingdom, he said. But those from the east and from the west and from the north and the south, they meaning many non-Jews, many Gentiles, will be saved and come into the kingdom. Now that's how it was in their day, but how is this applicable in our day? Because it's not just written for their sakes. Well, what is the equivalent of a first century Jew today? He, what was the Jew then? He was the pretty much the religious lost person. So, one who had an outward form of Christianity, but had never come face to face with his sin and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, just like this man here who comes with this speculative question. You see, the equivalent to that today is like those I've mentioned. Those who come to church have an interest in Christian things, have some form of Christianity, but it's all outward. It's all theoretical or abstract. They might be able to talk and debate all day long about secondary issues, get really excited about them, break over fellowship with them. Whether it's creationism, Calvinism, homeschooling, whether you have a King James... Maybe they're involved in some big Christian activity. Good one, feeding the homeless. But they've never agonized. They've never really been convicted of and convinced of the lost estate. And so they've never entered through the narrow gate. And Jesus warns them here, there is a day coming of everlasting regret when those who are last, they'll be thrust out of the kingdom of God. And those who are last will come in, what is the equivalent of them today? Well, these people, like in the first century, it was the Gentiles, those who had no knowledge of God coming into the kingdom. 
the equivalent of those who are last being first here is those in our day. They may not have heard all this religious talk and activity. But at some point, they've come to see the loss of state and the desperate need for Christ. And they have agonized and they have entered through this narrow gate. And so what about you to close? Have you dealt with Jesus one-on-one like this? Or have you been preoccupied with other things? Because if not, he cries to you, he commands you. Come and deal with me now. You see, the day may be shut one day and it'll be too late, but the day is wide open now. Christ tells you to come to him and be saved. Go through the narrow gate. He tells you in this text, go through the narrow gate of him alone. Go to Christ confessing your wickedness. Confess your wretched, your worthless state. Confess you don't even feel as as much as you should. Anything you feel short of, confess. Confess that everything else you've been trusting in that would make you right with God, all your Christian activity, that won't do it. Confess how wrong you've been in putting other things before him. And go to Christ now. Don't leave it until you're shut out when it's too late. But say, Lord, you know, just as that song goes, just as I am without one plea, I don't have any plea, but that your blood was shed for me. That's my only plea. And you bids me come to me. You're asking me come, and so Lamb of God, I come. You see, he's waiting to save such people. So go to Christ. You must deal with him. Don't stop short. Don't worry about ridicule from others. Don't worry about losing this or that. Because he is the one thing necessary. Uh, Your relationship, getting right with God. Don't put this off a day longer. You know, make sure you are in a right relationship with God and Jesus Christ. Because that is the one and the most important thing you will ever do. So go to him now. Go to him like the prodigal, confessing your sin before him, confessing your need of him, but believing that he is willing to save and pardon a guilty sinner like me because he will do to all who will come. He says, he who comes to me, I will never cast out. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, Weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready waits to save you, full of pity, love and power. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. What does it also say there in that song? If you tarry till you're better, if you wait until you're better enough to come, you'll never come at all. So go now and let's pray. Our Father, you speak through the words of a donkey. And I pray that through your servant, that you would speak, that this sermon would arrest and awaken people 
to see that Christ, Jesus Christ, and our relationship with him is the most important thing in all of life. To come and deal with you. I thank you that you are so willing to forgive all those who will come to you. To embrace you. Draw people to yourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.